If you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11, which finishes a section of Scripture. It's all about killing sin for Christ. See, Paul has been making the point here in the book of Colossians over and over and over again that Jesus Christ is above all in glory, importance, and worth. He is preeminent, supreme, and sufficient in all things. And because of that, those of us who have been redeemed by His grace, who have been immersed into Jesus Christ by faith and have been transferred into His eternal kingdom, we ought to reflect Christ's glory, importance, and worth by how we live our lives. Baez chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 showed us by centering our affections, our thoughts, and our ambitions on Jesus Christ above all. Well, that's easier said than done because all those old affections, all those old thoughts, and all those old ambitions from our old way of life do not simply vanish and disappear after we trust in Jesus. They hold on. And they attempt to usurp Christ's rightful reign over our lives and over our hearts. And so Paul has been showing us here in Colossians 3, verses 5-11, through 11, that one of the major ways we honor Jesus Christ and proclaim His preeminence is by killing sin. By putting to death every pretender to the throne of our hearts so that Jesus Christ might reign supreme. And Paul outlines three areas of our lives that we are to put sin to death. In verses 5-7, through he showed us that you and I must put to death sinful desires found within you because they belong to your old life where you lived in sin under God's wrath. They don't belong to your new life where where you live in Christ under God's grace. So put to death sinful desires found within you. Paul also told us in verse 8 to put to death sinful disgust that you have towards those around you. Because again, such anger and wrath and malice and slander and evil speaking have nothing to do with your new life in Jesus Christ. It was when you were dead in your sins, as Titus 3.3 teaches, that you passed your days in malice and envy, hated by one another and hating each other. But now that you're alive in Christ, you're to put that all away. Put to death sinful desires found within you. Put to death sinful disgust towards those around you. And finally, as Paul will tell us here this morning in verses 9-11, through put to death sinful deceptions that are spread among you. So let's see this. Let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-11. through Paul writes, Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. This is the Word of God who imparts more understanding to us than all our teachers when His testimonies are our our meditations. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this passage of Scripture. We thank You for how it reveals to us the glory of Christ. That He is all. And He is in all. And Father, we desire to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. To proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ here in, that, in this place. We want to show the world that Christ is all and in all. So help us, Father, this morning to understand Your truth to grow in knowledge and be renewed so that we may not spread lies among each other. Help us to understand the truth. The truth that is in Christ. Help us to speak and live in light of it. That You might be honored that Your Son might be proclaimed, and that the lost might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Change our hearts this morning, we pray, O Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sun Tzu, in his famous work, The Art of War, wrote in 400 B.C., In battle, while forming a single united body for yourself, you must split up the enemy into fractions. Thus your whole will be pitted against their separate parts, which means you shall be many to the enemy's few. From that quote, we see that one of the oldest and most effective tactics used in warfare is to divide and conquer. To divide and turn your enemy against itself. Abraham Lincoln recognized this. In a January 1838 speech to a group in Springfield, Illinois, Abraham Lincoln stated, At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reaches us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of freemen, we must live through all time or die by suicide. In other words, if America would ever fall, it would be from within. From Americans turning against Americans and making their brothers enemies. That nearly happened almost 30 years later during the Civil War as Abraham Lincoln quoting Christ from Mark 3.25 War into the nation once again. A house divided against itself cannot stand. One of the oldest and most effective tactics used in warfare is to divide and turn your enemy against itself. And one of the best ways to do that is by getting your enemies to spread harmful lies and deceptions among themselves. 
One of the best examples of this tactic being used in modern history is Yugoslavia. See, following World War II, the kingdom of Yugoslavia succumbed to Russian communist control and became the Federal People's Republic of Yugoslavia in 1945, joining the USSR Eastern Bloc and essentially becoming a puppet state under communist Russia. This was very advantageous for Russia, giving them direct access to the Mediterranean. However, starting in 1948, Yugoslavia started to distance itself from the Soviets, becoming independent in 1949 and starting to receive American aid in 1950. Under the firm hand of an authoritarian president named Tito, Yugoslavia experienced a period of relative peace and stability until his death in 1980. And thus begins a very important time in Yugoslavian history, a period that historians are still today trying to make sense of. Because what they observe is that starting in the 1980s, the way that people in Yugoslavia started to talk about each other among the nations started to change. Historians observe how over the next 10 years from the 1980s into the 1990s, the Yugoslavian news networks increasingly became biased, taking on, as one historian put it, quote, a strange all-out us-versus-them showdown. In the newsroom, there was suddenly no space or interest in the other's concerns or point of view, not even a pretense of objectivity or curiosity to hear another side of the story, unquote. Historians also observe how headlines and events in Yugoslavia started to divide up along ethnic and socioeconomic lines. Everything was Bosnian or Serbian or Croatian. Propaganda arose on all sides with bizarre accusations of soldiers being crucified, children being given over to food for lions, babies being slaughtered, and large invasion armies hiding somewhere in the wilderness by various ethnic groups all of which tales are now known to be untrue. All across the country, this once strong barrier nation to the Soviet Union's ambitions to the Mediterranean was suddenly fracturing from within along strong ethnic and socioeconomic lines. Until finally in 1991, Yugoslavia erupted into a horrendously bloody civil war and within less than one year, this once united country that stood strong against Soviet interests stood broken down into ten different countries. And though the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, historians are starting to conclude that what happened in Yugoslavia during the 80s and early 90s was actually a modern form of the ancient divide-and-conquer tactic. If you can spread harmful deceptions and divisive lies among your enemies, and if you can get them to buy into those very lies, all you have to do is sit back and watch them tear each other apart. If you want to know what's happening in America today, study what happened in Yugoslavia in the 80s and 90s. It's an ancient form of warfare, divide and conquer, If you can make people forget about what they have in common, and if you can make people think and believe divisive deceptions, then the war is already won before a shot is ever fired. This happens in physical warfare. And, most relevant for us this morning, this happens in spiritual warfare. If Satan can make us forget about what unites us together as Christians, namely, the glory of Christ and the truth of His words, 
If he can make us think and believe and spread divisive deceptions among the body of Christ, then the battle to keep us from honoring Jesus in this world will have already been won. We will have destroyed ourselves from the inside. That is why Paul tells us here in verses 9-11 through that one of the ways that we show that Jesus Christ is above all is by putting to death sinful deceptions that are spread among you. That's in verses 9 through 11 where Paul writes this Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, Paul gives us another command directed at killing sin for Christ. It is the third command actually found in this passage. The first was back in verse 5 put to death what's earthly in you. The second was in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. And the third is here in verse 9, do not lie to one another. Whereas the first command was focused on putting to death sinful desires found within you, and the second was put to death sinful disgust towards those around you, this third one is focused on putting to death sinful deceptions that are spread among you, that is, among the body of Christ. If we are not careful, and there's a great warning here, believer, if we are not careful and if we do not ground our thinking on Christ above all, we as Christians can easily become pawns of Satan and spread his lies, deceptions, and untruth among the body of Christ. We can think ourselves a servant of Christ and be acting as a servant of the devil. If we do not keep Christ above all in our affections, thoughts, and ambitions, we can become like those mentioned back in chapter 2, verse 5, who spread worldly philosophy and empty deceit among the family of God, who cause division among churches, and who cause others to start following after human tradition and not after Christ. If we don't keep Christ above all, we can gradually and unwittingly become disseminators of divisive demonic deceptions. That's terrifying. It ought to be terrifying. And that's why Paul says, do not lie to one another. Make sure you're speaking divine truth according to Christ and not parroting demonic deceptions according to this world. And just like the previous two commands, Paul grounds this admonition in our new identity in Christ as well. He says, do not lie to one another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. See, the reason why we should not be spreaders of lies among the body of Christ is because a dramatic change has taken place in us. We have a new nature. We have put off the old self with its practices. We've put on a new self. Our old self, which was dead in sin, is gone. And our new self, which is alive in Christ, has come. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ and been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are reminded once again from this passage this morning that an incredible transformation has taken place in your life. Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 13, that it's like being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and being transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. He said back in chapter 2, verse 13, that it's like breaking out of the grave and it's rising to life again. He says in chapter 3, verse 3, that the transformation of salvation is like being transported out of this world. And he says here in chapter 3, verse 9, it's like casting off old, soiled grave clothes to put on royal robes. It is impossible to be saved by the 
almighty power and grace of God and not be changed by it. For salvation means to be changed. It means to be given a new heart and a new mind, as Jeremiah 31-33 states. It means to be given a new spirit and a new life, as Ezekiel 36-27 states. It means being born again, as Jesus so famously said in John 3, verse 7. To be saved means to be changed. As Titus 2.11 teaches the same grace of God that brings salvation also teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live godly lives. So do not miss this. I want you to understand, Paul is not teaching a form of morality here. The reason why we are to kill sin and sinful deceptions among us, the reason why we are to exhibit a new lifestyle is because we have been given a new life. We have put off the old self with its practices and we have put on the new self notice which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. One of the most important aspects of our new nature in Christ is that that it is characterized by what? By renewal. By progress. By growth. Paul spoke of this experience in 2 Corinthians 4.16 when he wrote, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is, being waste, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. If you're a believer, God is in the process of maturing you daily, growing you daily, conforming you daily into the image of Jesus Christ. As Romans 8.29 says, those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So even though we are in Christ and we're complete, we've seen that in Colossians, we are not yet perfect, are we? It's like when Felix and Ethan were first born. One of the first things I did was I looked them carefully over and I counted all their little stubby fingers and toes to make sure they were all there. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, hallelujah. They're all here, right? They're there, right? You're complete. But as newborns, they still needed to grow, didn't they? They still needed to grow. So it is with us. We have a new self that is created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, but our new self has not yet reached that maturity. There's still much more growth in store for us. And that's God's purpose for us as a believer, by the way. If you want to know why circumstances happen in your life, it is because God is driving at this goal to make you more and more like Jesus every day. To continually grow us up closer to, as Ephesians 4.13 describes, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that image of God in us that was corrupted due to the fall and obscured through sin, now in Christ is being renewed and restored. And notice, how is that image of God being restored? Paul says, in knowledge. In knowledge. It is through the Word of God that you and I are transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, It is by beholding as through a mirror the glory of the Lord in the pages of Scripture that we are transformed in the same image from one degree of glory into another. It is by that knowledge that we receive everything needed for life and godliness, for living life for the glory of God, as 1 Peter 1.3 says. It's by the truth of God's Word. So do you see here Paul's connection? How central truth is to the life of every believer. Right? Your new nature is literally being renewed. How? By the truth of God's Word. Therefore, do not lie to one another. That's Paul's reasoning. 
That's why believers ought not to lie to one another and spread sinful deceptions and parrot the world's plausible lies among the body of Christ, as Paul warned about back in chapter 4, 2, verse 4, and verse 8. It's because Christian growth and maturity, it's because Christian love and unity is founded not on the lies of this world. Christian growth and maturity and unity is founded on the truth of God's Word. As Ephesians 4.15 says, it is by speaking the truth in love that we grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Or again in 1 Peter 2 verse 2, it is by the pure spiritual milk of the Word that we grow up in our salvation. Christian unity and fellowship, growth and maturity must be securely founded upon the truth of God's Word and not upon the lies and deceptions of this world. We as believers live by truth. It was by truth that we are saved. It is by truth that we are daily being strengthened and sanctified. We must ground our lives in the truth of God's Word and not upon the lies and deceptions of this world. In fact, those sinful deceptions must be directly confronted by the truth. We must kill sinful deceptions spread among us. And Paul shows us exactly how to do that when he writes in verse 11, Here... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul here is confronting one of the lies, one of the demonic deceptions that was being spread among the Colossian church back then, and that lie was this, that ethnic, religious, Cultural and socioeconomic divisions matter and are important distinctions among the body of Christ. First, he warns against ethnic divisions. Ethnic divisions. False teachers were coming in and they were saying that even though you are a new creation in Christ, an ethnic divide and distinction still exists between Greek and Jews and must still be acknowledged as important. And in the ancient world, you have to understand, that distinction was very important to the world. The division that existed between Greek and Jew is the most dramatic, violent, ethnic division that existed in that culture. Jews taught that the Gentiles would kill their own children and dump them down their drains. And because of that, Jews would not enter a Gentile house, touch a Gentile pot, or eat food from a Gentile cook. In fact, after coming back from business in a Gentile nation, the Jews would shake off the dirt from their feet because they didn't want any of that Gentile filth in their Jewish communities. This was just the worst type of racism, of ethnic superiority that you can imagine. By the way, the Gentiles were just as bad. And what these false teachers were doing was they were taking those ethnic divisions and distinctions that existed in the world and that the world thought were so important And they were dragging that into the church of God. Saying that believers of certain ethnicities should be recognized, acknowledged, and treated differently than believers of other ethnicities. What is that? We've already seen back in verse 5 of this same chapter that that, that all sin, even the sin of racism, is rooted in idolatry. It is the worship of yourself. And that's what racism is. It's thinking yourself superior to another either because of your ethnicity 
or because of theirs, right? So either because you think that your ethnicity is superior in quality, right? Think Hitler, Aryan race, blonde hair, blue eyes, or because you think that their ethnicity is just naturally inferior in quality, right? Think Cain's curse, or a modern example, white guilt. What is that? That is idolatry. That is the worship and exaltation of yourself rather than Christ above all. Well, Paul says here, do not spread that lie among each other. That the ethnic distinctions matter in the church of Christ. That is a lie. Here in the body of Christ, there is not Greek or Jew. There is not my people and your people. There's just Christ. As Ephesians 2, 14-15 says, He Himself, that is Christ, is our peace who has made us Jews and Greeks both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. I know exactly how to solve the racism problems in America. It is by exalting Jesus Christ above all and calling on people to repent of their idolatry. Because Jesus Christ is our peace. And there is no peace found outside of Him. But once you find Him, you have found peace. He creates one man in the place of the two. Making peace. Don't spread lies among yourselves. Exalt Christ above all. For here there is no Greek and Jew. Another way false teachers are trying to spread demonic deceptions among the body of Christ is by trying to perpetuate religious distinctions among the body of Christ between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. So we've already seen that back in chapter 2, verse 11, where false teachers were trying to tell believers that they were somehow inferior because they had not yet been physically circumcised like the Jews had. And that fact, the fact that they used to be pagan worshipers rather than Jewish worshipers, Uh, these false teachers says was an important distinction that needed to be remembered among the body of Christ. Well, Paul says here, that's a lie. Here there is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised in the body of Christ. It's not like you come to Christ and you're forever remembered as a Catholic Christian, right? Or a Mormon Christian, or a Buddhist Christian, or a Muslim Christian, or a Jewish Christian. No, your former religious identity is gone. You are a Christian. You are in Christ. Old things have passed away. Period. As Galatians 6.15 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. In Christ, the idolatrous ethnic and religious divisions of your past are destroyed. They're eclipsed. They are made of no importance in Jesus. You have nothing to boast in. You have no ethnicity to boast in. You have no religious background to boast in. You just have Christ to boast in. So don't spread lies amongst yourselves. Exalt Christ above all. For here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. The third way false teachers tried to attempt to spread divisive lies among the Colossian church was by making cultural distinctions between believers, between barbarian and Scythian. Those were cultural terms and somewhat derogatory ones back then. Barbarians were those that the Greeks would make fun of because of how they spoke. Right? Barbarian literally means those who say barbar. Okay, that's a barbarian. Scythians were barbarians as well, 
but they were the epitome of barbaric. They were renowned among the world by their crass language, violence, arrogance, and and cruelty. So to be a Scythian meant that you belonged to the most despised culture in the world. And those false teachers came along saying that those national and those cultural distinctions matter and should be important among the body of Christ. But Paul says that is a lie. Here there is neither barbarian nor Scythian. So to make it modern for us, in our time we could say in Christ there's no Yanks or Rednecks. I'm from Michigan, so you could say there's no youpers or trolls. There's no city slickers or country folk. There's no University of Michigan, Ohio State fans, right? None of these things ultimately matter. It's just Christ. There is to be no cultural or national distinction raised up as significant among the body of Christ. Can I repeat that one more time? There is to be no cultural nor national distinction raised up as significant among the body of Christ. So here's the elephant in the room. We're Americans. And historically, there has been a pride and an appreciation that comes with that because of the rights and freedoms that God has graciously and sovereignly granted to us through the means of this nation. But let's be clear. The kingdom of God is without borders. And our pledge of allegiance is to Christ above all. Therefore, there is no place for cultural or national distinctions to be exalted as significant among the body of Christ. There's just Christ. So don't spread lies amongst yourselves. Exalt Christ above all. For here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, The final way that these false teachers would try to disseminate demonic deceptions and divisions among the body of Christ was through, I'd call it, socioeconomic distinctions between slave and free. In other words, there are rich Christians and there are poor Christians. And you do not treat them the same, believer. Oh no, you must treat them differently based on their identity as either privileged or disenfranchised. James talks about this a lot in James 2, about treating rich and poor differently, about making distinctions among yourselves and being judges with evil thoughts. What were those evil thoughts? Those evil thoughts were this, that a person's socioeconomic status mattered among believers and they should be treated differently because of that identity. Well, Paul says no. That is a lie. Here among the body of Christ, there is neither slave nor free. There's neither 1% nor 99%. There's neither privileged nor disenfranchised. There is simply the content in Christ. For what did Paul say in Philippians 4, 11 and following? I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what was that secret? Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. Socioeconomic conditions are not important to the life of a believer. So don't spread lies amongst yourselves. Exalt Christ above all. For here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. But Paul says this, Christ is all and in all. In other words, all of those old identities, all of those old earthly distinctions that matter so much to the unredeemed world do not matter anymore. They're completely eclipsed by your new identity in Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Paul was teaching when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.16. Such an important passage. Paul writes this, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we do so no longer. And it is in that context that Paul then writes verse 17 famously, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Right. Therefore, do not regard anyone according to the flesh. In the church of Christ, there is no room for ethnic, religious, cultural, or socioeconomic divisions or distinctions. There is only room for Christ to be exalted over all. So do not lie and spread untruth among one another in the body of Christ. Beloved, what Paul is saying here is intensely relevant for us today. Because this very lie is being spread among American churches today under the label of intersectionality. This is a worldly philosophy that basically says that every human being is broken down into two categories, oppressor and oppressed. And the argument goes that those who are oppressing need to be quiet, And those who are oppressed need to be heard. So how do you figure out in the church of Christ who needs to be heard and who needs to be quiet? Well, it's by judging everyone according to all of these divisions and distinctions that Paul just condemned you do. Right? So if you're a female, you're oppressed. If you're a male, you're oppressor. If you're black, you're oppressed. If you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're poor, you're oppressed. If you're rich, you're an oppressor. And rather than Christ being all and in all, these false teachers are going into evangelical, Bible-believing churches today, and they are saying, hey, ethnic divisions matter so that people of these ethnicities should be treated differently than people of these ethnicities. And hey, socioeconomic distinctions matter so people of these income levels need to be treated differently than people of these income levels. And hey, there are all these different distinctions and divisions that we must treat as important among the body of Christ if we are to ever treat each other properly. And Paul says, no, you don't need any of that to treat each other properly. You just need to know who you are in Christ and who they are in Christ. Simply exalt Christ above all and maintain the unity of the body. Paul says that is a lie. It's a lie. 
Do, and it will split churches down the center. Do not lie to one another, for here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. You have to put those old practices and ways of viewing people away and learn to view people through the eyes of Christ. You must be renewed in knowledge. The pathway to true Christian unity and fellowship is not by making much of empty philosophy, worldly lies, and earthly distinctions. The key to true Christian unity and fellowship is by making much of God's truth and who we all are in Christ. Grace Chapel, this lie is spreading. Satan is engaged in warfare. He seeks to divide and conquer. And I call on you as a church to don't let him do that here. Stand side by side for the faith of the Gospel, for the glory of Christ. Do not lie to one another. In the mind of God and in the pages of Scripture, there are not all these divisions in the family of God. There's just Christ in all and above all. By the way, I want you to know that it's in this way that we as a church are to be a reflection of heaven. See, the glory of heaven is not that there are people from every tribe, tongue, people, nation, and language being treated distinct and different from one another. The glory of heaven is that all of those distinctions are washed away and completely eclipsed with the glory of the One who is seated on the throne and the glory of the Lamb who is slain. That is what the church is to be. It is to be a picture of heaven. It is to be an embassy of the kingdom of God. And therefore, there is no room for racial, religious, cultural, or economic barriers in the church. There's only room for Christ above all. Whether you realize it or not, when you trusted in Jesus Christ and became immersed in Him, you cast off all your old identifications for a brand new one. You cast off your old racial identification for a new identification. You cast, your, you cast off your old religious identification, cultural identification, and economic identification, and you became a part of something brand new, and a new, all-encompassing, all-consuming identity. It is your identity in Christ. That is the way that you are to view yourself and others. That identity eclipses all the rest. As Alexander McLaren wrote, What becomes of the small ridges of sand that separate pool from pool at low water? The tide comes up and over them and makes them all one, gathered into the oneness of the great sea. See, when you're in Christ, all those old earthly identifications pass away and behold, a new identity is given. A heavenly one. One where Christ is above all and in all. It is not the identity of Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. No, it is the identity of verse 12. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That is how you are to view each and every believer in the body of Christ. And that alone. This is the unique glory of the church. We must not lose this. Where else in the world can the rich and the poor sit next to each other and not talk about it? Or be envious of each other? Where else in the world can a doctorate graduate and a high school graduate sit next to each other and not make a big deal about it? 
Where else in the world can someone with darker skin and someone with lighter skin sit next to each other and hardly even notice it because of something brand new that has taken place in both of their hearts? This is the unique glory of the church. It is the glory of heaven. It is the glory of Christ. Believer, Christ is all and in all. And one of the ways we show that to the world is by putting to death sinful deceptions spread among you. By showing the world that their divisions that are so important to them do not matter to us. Because here among the family of God, Christ reigns supreme. May God give us grace this week to show this to the watching world. To regard no one according to the flesh. To put to death what is earthly among us. To exalt Christ and the new identity that we have in Him above all. So much more that could be said. But for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 3, 5-11, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He returns. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this family in Christ. Father, I thank You that in Jesus He has broken down every wall of hostility that would normally and naturally stand between believers. We thank You that He has made one man out of the two. Father, I pray that You would help us to look at each other and to look at other believers in this world not according to the flesh, but according to the truth of Christ. Thank You, Father, for what we're about to see even next week. As You begin to describe to us our new identity, our glorious identity in Christ, chosen, holy, beloved. May we grow up into that calling. And may we encourage others to grow up in that identity as well as we make less and less of the distinctions of this world, and more and more of the glorious identity we have in Christ. May Jesus Christ be honored here in this place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.